Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normia Vasquez-Scales, at your disposal. episode, Soul Fusion, Kindred Flames, and Extraordinary Love, Divide Happenstance. Is it sheer and mere happenstance that we cross paths thrice before? Indeed, conclusively prior to plummeting into the all-seeing eye of an amorous hurricane, upon which we lay still, dormant, basking in the aroma of beckoned gratification, then falling prey to the uncautioned wind, which gracefully, ever so sweetly, thrusts us onto the sands of infinite time. What say you of our undeniably kindred interests, gluttons for aesthetic pastimes torn between solace and social escapades, Independence Day festivities emerge in proximity of one another, capturing our untainted souls each time, piercing the unexposed wounds of fulfillment, shedding a welcome euphoria which oozed and saturated our restless spirits. Is it coincidental that you could potentially gift me your blood by virtue of a, quote, a positive transfusion? while exchanging telepathic odes, ballads, greetings, and salutations, I, the quintessential Locke, meshed and mated with you, an intricately forged key which hails from the East versus might Midwest, our personalized Bronx tale reincarnated via the vehicle of time. again, ladies and gentlemen, my dear listeners, to another sprightly, amorous episode, oozing, oozing with emotion and energy, feminine and masculine energy, meshed and mated, ladies and gentlemen. I have been inspired to investigate the topic of twin souls, which we will embark upon without further ado. I've had the most inexplicable and miraculous Awakenings. there's been a season of enlightenment. And I have to thank someone in particular for that. Yes, you know who I'm speaking of. My beloved soulmate, Andrea, from across the pond. Yes, I can literally feel you. Your, your literal touch in my proximity because your spirit is within me and engulfs me infinitely. Yet I digress, ladies and gentlemen. So, twin flames. We've all 
We've all heard of such things as twin flames and soulmates, these soulful unions, which are quite real and relevant. I can bear witness to that. I can, I can render a testimony. All of the telltale signs happen in my midst, and it's no coincidence. But again, let's go ahead and dive into the pulp of the episode, the nucleus, as I've alluded to in the aforementioned segment of this episode, and uh, let's hear what Mateo Sol has to say in an article. These, this, these are, this is an abridged article, an extracted version of his read, which is titled 21 Authentic Twin Flame Signs, and this is via LonerWolf.com. So according to Mateo, the moment you meet your twin flame is the moment the earth beneath your feet begins to shift. Oh, that is so not cliche, my dear listeners. I like to think of the meeting of two twin flames as an existential earthquake. All of a sudden, you can sense that an immensely important person has entered your life. All of a sudden, you get the overwhelming feeling that your life is going to change in a way you aren't even aware of, and yet you intuitively, intuitively know that the changes will be great, greater than what you've ever experienced and breathtaking in their magnitude. So he knows all of this because he was fortunate. He had been bestowed his own very, very own twin flame a few years prior. And he said he he's alluded to having already undergone the fiery, intense, and transformative process of meeting his soul's mirror. So there is a distinction, ladies and gentlemen, between soulmates, um, mere soulmates, and these fiery twin flames that we, we speak of. So continuing, he said, although he feels this immense, vast gratitude for the gift of connecting with his particular twin flame, he's very gratified. He's in a state of bliss to know that this blessing is open to everyone. However, such a gift is not always received openly or even recognized by us on a conscious level. So yes, ask yourself how many times throughout the course of your life, if you really, really think and focus, ladies and gentlemen, upon that particular individual, those particular specific individuals that made their mark that you may have inadvertently or or even explicitly directly overlooked. So continuing. Sometimes we're at a point in our lives where we're simply not receptive to both ourselves and our twin flames presence due to stress, overwork, lifestyle habits, and negative thought patterns that lead to low self-esteem. So if you've connected with your twin flame, or would like to discover who your twin twin flame is, you'll find everything you need to know on in this very read, this very article. So what is a twin a twin flame? A twin flame or twin soul, as some refer to it, is a person who you feel connected to not merely on a physical and emotional level, but also on a very soulful or spiritual level. Our twin flames represent our friends, lovers, and teachers in this life, and they're the yens to our yangs, the suns to our moons, and the light to our darkness. Sounds poetic now, doesn't it? Twin flames are also our mirrors in that they reflect back 
to us all of our hidden fears and shadows, but also our true inner beauty and strength. In this way, our twin flames open the door to tremendous emotional, psychological, and spiritual growth. 11 signs have their significance in that number 11, let me tell you. 11 signs you're in a twin flame relationship. Are you already in a twin, twin flame relationship per the author? So Mateo alludes to these common signs to recognize, which are as follows. One, the sensation that time doesn't exist between you. Two, there's a strange sense of recognition or deja vu between you as though you're both destined to be together. Three, intense magnetic attraction to one another. This animal, very, very primitive, inexplicable magnetism. And that's where you may hear people say, I just can't explain it. I, I know what I know what I know. It's just undeniable. It's unquestionable. Four, your strengths and weaknesses perfectly balance one another. Five, you share the same values, desires, and dreams. Six, your twin knows you better than anyone else in the world. Seven, no matter how many times you may fight or no matter how much conflict rests between you, you always forgive one another completely, completely. Eight, you have a multifaceted connection. Let me emphasize that word connection together. I've articulated my own personal undeniable, indisputable twin flame connection with my significant other, my soulful, soulful mate. We are geographically distant from one another, but quite contrary in terms of energy. So the next uh, telltale sign is an uncanny, there are uncanny synchronicities which rest or exist between you. For example, um, in his case, both he and his twin, um, they both got together on 11-11-11. Another telltale sign is you're both driven towards a higher spiritual and social purpose. And then last but not least, you learn the values of empathy, compassion, forgiveness, and unconditional love together. So it does exist, that unconditional love. So now the origins of twin flame. So, and this is a quote. So so ancient is the desire of one another, which is implanted in us, reuniting our original nature, seeking to make one of two and to heal the state of man. Plato, Symposium. So the concept of having a twin flame originated in Plato's mythic dialogue entitled The Symposium, which wrote that human beings originally originally had two faces, four arms, and four legs. Under the threat of being overpowered, the gods split them in half, creating the humans we see today. Hence, it's, it is thought that we all have one twin soul out there in the world. Others hypothesize that twin flames are members of our soul group, which are people whom we resonate with on the deepest level and were predestined to meet, or that twin flames are the embodiment or other half of a singular soul. However, we define twin flames as those 
whose souls have agreed to reincarnate together across many lifetimes. The purpose of the Twin Flame Union is to help one another to spiritually grow, expand and reach spiritual illumination. Everything in life is composed of energy at its very core, at its raw essence, and Twin Flames are people we resonate with on the deepest spiritual level. Like two tuning forks or gravitational fields, Twin Flames are magnetically attracted to one another. The purpose of twin flame relationships. So put in layman's terms. The purpose of twin flame relationships, of a twin flame relationship, is to help us shed away the snakeskin of the ego, to face and heal our wounded hearts, and transform into spiritually awakened beings. How relevant. I am there. I have undergone an unquestionable spiritual awakening, awakening, pardon me. My kundalini has been activated, my sensitivity, my heart chakras aligned, they're open, receptive, I'm working intensely, my best person on a daily, day-to-day basis. So all of these are, are all indicators. So twin flames are a divine expression of balance, harmony, and unconditional love. Every twin flame couple will have a higher purpose to achieve together. And this may include anything from raising conscious children and starting an eco-conscious business to becoming spiritual guides and mentoring the lives of many. Contrary to popular belief, twin flames do not complete one another which was surprising to me. This is because the soul itself is already complete. Instead, such relationships exist to catalyze spiritual maturing and conscious expansion. In other words, twin flame connections exist to aid the collective growth of our planet towards compassion, tranquility, and love. On a personal level, twin flame relationships prepare us to acknowledge, experience, and eventually embody the wholeness that has always and forever been inside of us. This state of wholeness is what enlightened teachers through the ages have embodied and spoken of. This wholeness is the soul or true nature within us. 21 major twin flame signs. Another quote. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They're in each other all along. And this is a quote by Rumi of the essential Rumi. We're not always receptive to the appearance of our twin flames in life. We might be heartbroken, racked with grief, maritally overburdened, or just plain tired and disillusioned when they suddenly appear out of sheer thin air. They eclipse out of ether. Feeling unprepared is one of the biggest reasons why twin flame separation and the twin flame runner and chaser complex occurs. In fact, we might have already met our twin flames, but we might have overlooked them, as I alluded to previously, or taken them for granted in some way. Whatever emotional or psychological stage you're at in life, it is always beneficial to be conscious of the people you live with and meet. Okay, so here are some other signs, uh, twin flame signs that might assist you, enable you to open new pathways and opening new pathways and opportunities for union. 
Number one is you feel a strange, inexplicable sense of recognition when you meet the person. This might manifest itself as deja vu, as we've spoken of before, or an unshakable, unshakable feeling that you've known this person before or, or somehow meant to be together. You have a feeling that they are going to play a very important role in your development without knowing when, why, or how. You know what you know what you know. You've established an immediate intense connection with them that is invigorating and shocking at the same time, like synchronized swimmers. Oh yes, this is my experience. You feel as though you've finally found a home or safe place with the other person. You're able to be your authentic self, warts and all, without the fear of rejection, persecution, or judgment with them. You both embody the yin and yang. In other words, your dark side is balanced by their light side, and their dark side is balanced by your light side. You also feel a sense of expansion with them, as though you are larger than your limited identity. They make you a better person, and you make them a better person. When together you're bond, you're both bonded, but when together you're both bonded, but free, attached, but unattached. In other words, you still maintain your freedom even though you might be in a relationship with them. You're finally tuned to their energy and they're finally tuned to yours. This means that you're both very conscious of the present play of energy, whether happy or sad, angry or forgiving, open or withholding, present in the connection. You're both therefore highly empathetic with one another. You also feel as though you have been waiting for this person your entire life. You both connect deeply and mirror each other's values and aspirations for life beyond surface similarity. So this is beyond superficial, my dear listeners. 13. Your twin flame is a mirror of what you fear and simultaneously desire the most for your own inner healing. For example, if you are a highly strong person, your twin flame will most likely be relaxed and messy. If you like to play the victim, your twin flame will is most inclined to be a strong character who refuses to give you pity or sympathy to perpetuate your com- your complex. If you are creatively repressed, your twin flame will be a flourishing artist. In this way, our twin flames challenge and infuriate us, but also teach us important lessons about our fears, core wounds, and repressions. Your childhoods were polar opposite. That's number 14. You were raised in very different ways, which led to the development of opposite childhood wounds that you now have the opportunity to mend. Next, one of you is more soulfully mature than the other and often serves as the teacher, counselor, or confidant within the relationship. You're also taught taught important life lessons, such as forgiveness, gratitude, empathy, and open-mindedness by them and with them. You allow, you permit. It's uncontrolling. This is what I've come to discover. So the most growth you've ever experienced has been with them. No other friendship or relationship has transformed you as deeply as this one has. Your connection is multifaceted. In other words, your twin flame is likely to be your best friend, lover, teacher, nurturer, and muse all at once. This is a package deal, ladies and gentlemen. Your twin flame doesn't try to change you. They accept you 
for who you are and what stage you're at and encourage you to do the same for yourself and vice versa. My beloved Andrea, I hope you're listening because this is for you. And yes, I love you. You can be truthful with one another about anything. Together you both feel driven towards a higher purpose, whether spiritually, socially, or ecologically. I share the sentiments, ladies and gentlemen. This is no ordinary love. There are eight stages of twin flame love. Twin flames aid our souls in finding completion. However, this journey is composed of many different layers or stages. Here are the eight twin flame stages broken, summarized, and here's the first. Yearning for, quote, the one. This stage is spent preparing for your twin flame on an emotional and psychological level. Often, a certain level of individuation and healthy self-esteem must be developed before meeting your flame. So preparation is, is key. And you'll find yourself, as I found myself as of late, just being inclined, um, just innately being driven to reinvent myself, restoring myself to be my utmost best person, just for the sake of being. But number two is glimpsing the one. In this stage, you'll temporarily glimpse or come in contact with your twin flame. This experience might be through a dream, a picture, or through brief real-life contact. Three is falling in love. After finally meeting your twin flame, you will fall rapidly, deeply, and madly in love. You might try to resist the experience initially, perhaps due to an already established relationship, but eventually you won't be able to stay away from them. Fourth, the fairy tale relationship. After deciding to enter a relationship, you'll, you'll enter a dreamlike period that feels like paradise. Everything will feel perfect within your relationship. Number five is outer turmoil and inner purging. So as a sparkle from your new love wears, egos begin to, ri- to arise, so to rise. In this stage, any insecurities, fears, traumas, and shadow issues buried within you and your partner or your person will come to the surface. These will need to be resolved for you to mature as a couple. And then number six, we have the runner and chaser. So like stage five, this stage is a trial by fire. So as tensions escalate, it is common to temporarily or in some extreme cases permanently leave the relationship either emotionally or physically. The less mature and psycho-spiritually integrated partner will play the role of the runner, while the more emotionally balanced partner will play the chaser. So this game of cat and mouse can last for days to years. Number seven is surrender and and dissolution. Eventually, issues are resolved in your relationship and a space of acceptance and openness is established. Number eight, oneness. Oneness, the more shadows are dealt with through the shadow work, the easier unity becomes. In this stage, twin flames experience little to no conflict and a return to blissful paradise. So common twin flame questions. Are you, str- are you 
struggling? Are you scrambling to seek resolution? The answers to some of your questions pertaining to to twin flames. Well, here's some questions and answers then, okay? Number one, are are twin flames meant or intended to be lovers? The answer is no, not necessarily. There's no such thing as a cookie cutter twin flame relationship. Some twin flames are lovers, while some twin flames are best friends. You don't have to feel sexually attracted to your twin flame for the connection to be legitimate. It's perfectly normal to have a platonic relationship. So number two, does everyone have a twin flame? So yes, it's quite likely that everyone has a twin flame, but not everyone has the capacity to connect with their twin flame within this lifetime. Twin flames emerge within our lives when our souls are ready ready to undergo the process of spiritual awakening and transformation. For some people, the twin flame connection is simply too intense and is not welcome, and hence never unfurls. So three, can a twin flame be a soulmate? Yes, it is possible that a soulmate can become a twin flame and vice versa. But twin flames and soulmates have different functions. Twin flame relationships are intense and challenging. Their purpose is to help you spiritually grow. Soulmate relationships, on the contrary, are more mild and peaceful. Their purpose is to help support you. It's like the difference between fire, which are twin flames, and water, soulmates. And there's an article on that. So four, why do twin flames run? Sometimes our twin flames run away because the connection is too overwhelming and intense for the ego. When the ego is not ready to spiritually evolve, it resists, fights, and tries to escape. This is why twin flames run and try to avoid the relationship. So number five is, do you only have one twin flame? Yes, as as the name twin implies, there's only one other person on this planet who can be called a twin flame. All types of relationships provide the opportunity for growth. But twin flame relationships are rarely in their ability to help us spiritually evolve and awaken. So six, is there such a thing as a false twin flame? Yes, there is such a thing as a false twin flame, whether due to our own false perception, it's true that love blinds us, or due to the presence worn by the other person, it's possible to mistake someone as our twin flame. The best way to know someone, whether someone is a false twin flame, is to pay attention to A, whether they genuinely share the same values as you, B, if you can be your authentic self around them, and C, if there's mutual spiritual transformation. Seven, are twin flames toxic? Our twin flames can have toxic mindsets and wounds, but they are not toxic to be around. On the contrary, Our twin flames are loving, inspiring, and supportive people to be around. They help us to become the best version, versions, aha, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. But they, yes, to assist us in becoming the best versions of ourselves possible. A true twin flame will have some negative traits, but that will be outweighed by their positive qualities. False twin flames, on the other hand, are toxic to be around and make us feel rotten inside. Eight, can twin flames communicate telepathically? Now, there are no scientific uh, studies uh, which have been conducted. So it's best to keep an open but balanced perception. 
Yes, it might be possible for twin flames to communicate telepathically. I believe that me and my twin flame have communicated and can communicate telepathically. Um, But, you know, it's relative from person to person. This shouldn't be used as an excuse to avoid clear communication and assume that the other can read our mind. Telepathic communication can also lead a person to believe that they are reading another person's emotions and thoughts accurately, when in reality, they are projecting their own beliefs, wishes, and desires onto that person. So this is a tricky area and should be approached with open-minded caution. Number nine, can twin flames fall out of love? Yes, unfortunately, it is possible for twin flames to fall out of love. However, this is not to say that the deep soul connection will disappear or the possibility for rekindling love will vanish. It is possible for twin flames to fall in love, fall out of love, and fall in love again. The nature of life is unpredictable, and there is no divine edict saying that twin flames must love each other forever. The purpose of the twin flame relationship is to help us spiritually evolve, and when that goal has been completed, the connection can sometimes disintegrate. However, it is always possible for our twin flames to re-emerge later in life. Very relevant. How to find your twin flame. If you have not yet found your twin flame, just note that the experience is absolutely open to you. However, however, finding and connecting to your flame requires inner work. So twin flames and soulmates. Um, So there is some information here on how to forge true, deep, and enduring twin flame and soulmate loving, no matter what stage you're at right at this very moment, this very juncture. The best way to connect with your twin flame isn't through a fancy manifestation ritual, but through an authentic development of self-love. Again, you know, which in my predicament explains why this is occurring and why I'm noticing all of the evidence on a spiritual level and the confirmation in dreams and reality, seeing repeated numbers, Um, seeing the numbers 1111, which are a direct correlation to twin flame activity, to twin twin flame um, interaction. So twin flame resources. It's important that you read through the articles. And there's some articles listed, twin flames and soulmates bundle, twin flame runner, six ways to reunite with your twin soul, and etc. So our twin flames can be our friends, our lovers, or lovers, pardon me. For some people, they arise at the most opportune times, whereas others, they arise at the most complicated times. And still, for some people, twin flames are said to not arise in this lifetime, but are nevertheless with us in our heart. Whatever the case, remember, remember that it is entirely possible to be whole and complete unto yourself with enough inner work. Remember, twin flames do not complete you because you already innately complete at a soulful level. They instead complement you. They're complementary souls, complementary entities that help one another to evolve and grow on a deeper level. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There is actually, I'd like to share actually a story that I stumbled upon. Here's a a case story. And this is um, 
This is from Katie, okay? And this was on Nikki Kent blogspot.com. So among the hundreds of mails received, okay, Katie's e- email surfaced with Nikki. And I read the article. Nikki, I love your articles. You just have such a natural wisdom, and I learned so much about you. You share so much with us, and I just wanted to share my story with you because you play some part in it, as you will see. At uni, I had a massive crush on my best friend. We did the same course, lived in the same house, and spent pretty much every hour of every day together. I assumed it was so obvious that I adored him that I didn't even ever need to say it, and that we'd eventually just started dating. Instead, though, he went to Thailand for his gap year. He had to cut it short when his father died suddenly. In the last year, I heard had heard that uh, he was dropped out of his he dropped out of his studies to find work to to support his family. He is the sexiest, sweetest, funniest boy I've ever met. All oh, this sounds it's like such a kindred kindred story. <laughs> he was perfect, perfection. With one look from him, he penetrated this hymen of unconsciousness I had been wrapped in. It was literally, literally like a bolt from the view. Sadly, though, my brain decided he was too perfect, and I became convinced if we'd ever gone out, he'd have eventually dumped me for someone better. That's how I explained it to myself anyway, but I always regretted not calling him soon after or going to him after his father's death. I tried calling him after the school year, but he changed his number. I never stopped wishing how I'd never taken anything, not taken anything for granted and told him, quote, you mean everything to me. That's regret, and I still have it, is with me five years on. Back then, I had no name to give these feelings until I found your writings, Mickey. It was like a light bulb flashing on in my head. I was elated but desperate at the same time. I had lost my one and only true love, and I still had my whole life ahead of me. I felt devastated. But your articles comforted me. I thought there had to be a purpose to all of it. A couple of months ago, I met someone online. It only went so far as chatting on Skype. I'm well aware of the dangers of meeting people online. We laid down a couple of ground rules. We can only speak about our interests and such. No past life mistakes, as he described them. We chatted every day and discovered we had loads in common. We were getting on brilliantly. I found myself laughing out loud all the time, sitting at my screen, reading his comments. Last month, he asked me for my phone number, said he wanted to text me, and that he needed to see me. I also asked if it was okay if I brought a female chaperone for our first date. And he said that was fine. He could bring his mother. A few days later, we were texting to arrange the date. But then suddenly, I didn't hear back from my last message. Assuming he'd lost interest, I was upset, but left it at that. I didn't go on Skype, embarrassed to chat. I didn't want to hear excuses. It was only last week when I finally got around to some phone admin that I realized the last text I thought I'd sent actually just saved in my drafts. I should have just called and said, this is what happened. Do you still want to meet up? But at first I was hesitant. We hadn't spoken on the phone yet. We had just texted. I got scared. But then I remembered your articles 
and what happened last time. I didn't want that regret again. It was better to go through the risk of making a fool of myself than living with that regret. So I took a deep breath, threw caution to the wind, and pressed the call button. It felt like hours before he finally picked up. When I heard his voice, I recognized it immediately, but I just couldn't believe it. He was my hot boy <laughs> from uni, my one and only that I thought I'd lost for good. It was just a shock. What are the chances of two old uni mates finding themselves in the same city and discovering each other chatting online? We agreed to meet that same day, went on a date, and got on as though the last few years never happened. He was as hot as ever. I can relate to that, my beloved Andrea. He had gone back to uni, finished his studies, and was doing what he wanted with his life. It had taken him a year or so, but he'd done it. We're now firmly in love with each other and are planning to get married next year. And though he tells me not to be silly, the regret of not being there for him is still with me. I'm wised up thanks to your articles. I've turned that regret into a positive as an incentive to always remember how lucky I am, how fortunate I am, how fortunate we are. Thank you, Mickey, and bless you all and all my twin flame sisters and brothers out there. Yours in love, Mickey Kent. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful love story. I like to segue with another original work. The opening um, poem that I've written, Defied Happenstance, is a published work, copywritten work of mine, as all of my shared written works are. And I present to you Sliding Doors, ladies and gentlemen. Sliding Doors. Have you ever seen someone and not seen them repeatedly? How relevant, ironic, in fact. It happened that effervescent night I sashayed across the cobblestone roadway. You'd intercepted me via palabras suaves, inclusive of beckoning greetings and tantalizing salutations. I abruptly ceased, pausing for having acknowledged that I'd just witnessed you vividly for the first time. Our eyes locked and meshed, sparking the prelude to a prospective joint endeavor. Time rapidly lapsed, then slackened, Upon the hour you tapped on my hazy window. Upon crossing my threshold, the sprightly new chapter of the next episode of my life had become gracefully scripted. Each verbal tango and tender embrace filled the pages of this figurative novel, comprised of two unbridled yet kindred souls, which formerly labored as two sliding doors, per se, that sauntered into one another's lives. Like a heaping dose, a blissful kryptonite. You melted me and dissolved the residual frigid disposition yielded from the day's prior events. We're indeed two mesmerized creatures, indulging in caramelized innocence. I'm astonished upon the realization that someone as authentic and endearing as I had been resting underneath my very nose all of these years. Rather a few brisk paces north and east of me, across the pond. I'm so elated to have met your acquaintance, Andrea, and eternally grateful for the serenity you've ignited, intriguing me and spurring me to want to seep underneath your skin 
as getting to know you better. Last but not least, I'd like to present the institution. All of these three poems, prose poems, were all written in in the same interval during that chapter in which my beloved and I had eclipsed into one another's lives. And I present to you the institution. My beloved Andrea, I hope this message finds you exceptionally well as always. Moreover, I'd like to ask a simple favor of you. Please imagine, if you will, that there's a bank that credits you $86,400 daily. However, any unused funds were exhausted, had to be completely exhausted, null, void, upon the cessation of each closing day. There was no room for overdrafts. There is no drawing against tomorrow. Hence, you can only live solely and exclusively on that day's deposits. Andrea, there is such a bank and its name is time. There's no room for overdraft or drawing against tomorrow. We must all live strictly on each day's deposits. Nevertheless, it is our imperative to selectively designate to whom and what we impart our precious time. You've asked me previously what I wanted from you, and I'd like to convey it to you now. I know perfectly well what I want in life, and especially what I yearn for from in you. Moreover, it's absolutely priceless because it can neither be purchased nor regained once spent. I merely want a little piece of your time, just a fraction of it. It takes a profound degree of courage for me to say this, my beloved Andrea. I'm not focused on the tangible gifts that you can render. I'm confident that you can render to me instead. I want you to afford me the opportunity to showcase what I can furnish you. In fact, I don't want you to complete me. I want to actively complete you via my vast and magnifying energy, readily available to to dispense and salvage the wounds you've incurred amid the years. I'm a God-bestowed healer, now awakened, enlightened, of the gift I've harbored since the commencement of my existence. In layman's terms, I'm an unbegrudging giver, yet far from cavalier, meaning that giving not merely to to solely anyone. And right now, at this precise moment, I want to lend you my right arm, the strong arm. Well, I suppose I'm not ready to give up on you because you've awakened me struck a nerve per se and I want to share and co-create with you I'd like to applaud my behind the scenes team Bradley at this juncture and all of you listeners magnifying astronomically throughout the globe for my beloved Andrea this episode is in homage to you I'm singing you to me as they would say, in certain cultures. Until we meet again. And until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off.
Neighborhood Storage Center is committed to providing you the best storage experience in the industry. With a full line of moving supplies, a variety of unit sizes, and the most qualified storage consultants available, we're confident that you will be satisfied. Tonight's episode, The Farewell Address, Ode to Faux Weather Friends. Greetings. I hope this message finds you well as always. Moreover, I'm listening into a Zoom meeting regarding letter writing and felt inclined to pause and convey my honest, earnest sentiments. When I reflect upon our friendship amid the years, I can't deny that there's been an indisputable evolution. There have been moments when we've conclusively gone to great lengths for one another. Furthermore, we've communicated void of conflict, discord, and Quite frankly, never, I mean never, argued, truthfully. I miss those days and years in light of the unquestionable shift which has transpired over the past few years. Hence, I found myself walking on eggshells to avoid ruffling your feathers. Yet as we well know, walking on eggshells has no place in the recipe for any interpersonal relationship. Please note that I both sympathize and empathize with some of your experiences, albeit work complications, romantic relationship disappointments, etc., etc., etc. However, you've changed and exhibited a different person amid recent years. One observation I notice is that you, you speak in great length about what's plaguing you, which is completely normal, nevertheless, I listen and serve as your sounding board, yet when I embark upon what's weighing on my mind, you terminate the conversation shortly after I've been given the floor, per se. With such brevity, I have to take a nap, you'd state, or suddenly be summoned to to divert your attention elsewhere. I understand that things come up, but this, this has become a chronic pattern of yours, yet I quote friends and I do mean friends, intuitively hear one another out versus abruptly and incessantly ending conversations after being granted the floor to air their sentiments. Consequently, I found myself questioning the rapport between us. The last time we'd spoken was the day preceding your birthday when you phoned me during the 7 a.m. hour to vent, then vocalized quite abruptly, that you had to take a nap. I do quote, take a nap, while I was nearly a foot into speaking. I've always given you the floor to speak for as long as you desired. Not to mention, I tried. I tried to bring a little joy and brightness to your birthday by virtue of the small yet meaningful gifts I'd sent you. Every gesture, every gesture I've personally rendered to you, encompassing every motivational message and video has come from a place of heartfelt authenticity and love. Case in point, in retrospect, I'd also pondered the photo of the mishandled pastries you'd sent to me, coupled with the the comment you'd uttered. I was wondering what that was supposed to mean, you'd stated, which left me perplexed. I'd even broke my, my neck to rectify the botched delivery alongside confirming if you received the additional birthday item I'd sent, but you played past them both. This, 
This isn't, isn't the close-knit friend and bosom buddy I've known in excess of five years. At this juncture of my life, I've undergone the spiritual awakening I've alluded to intermittently over this four-month interval, just shy of a year ago. Just shy of a year ago. You distance yourself and vocalize that you wanted to reevaluate our friendship despite my yearning to continue it. Comparable to now, it was at the epoch of your birthday that I wanted to make positively memorable and gleeful for you. Yet I'd faltered then as I'd done recently. The gestures didn't seem to resonate with you. Moreover, the one-sidedness of our communication compounds the predicament. Nevertheless, a friendship void of sound interdependence is non-existent. A conversation would have potentially triggered an argument, and I'm unwilling to argue anymore in this peaceful chapter I've transitioned into. Humbly and respectfully, Normia. Welcome back yet again to another sprightly episode, ladies and gentlemen. You've all just heard a first-hand account of my farewell address to a former close friend of mine. Needless to say, social housekeeping, rather purging faux friends, families, and foes is of the essence, paramount, in fact. How liberating it's been to discard that and those which tug, taint, erode, and annihilate my energy, spirits, and overall well-being. And you? Have you purged your social sphere as of late, my dear listeners? If not, I humbly implore you to do so. You're good-natured, well-intentioned, and pure-hearted, but you're not. You are not mandated to serve as municipal waste sites, and I do mean that with every core of my being, for the soul shakers and takers in your realm. That's what I refer to them as. You know, the energy siphons. Instead, have courage, set boundaries, purge, repel, and disassociate from energy vampires as you deem appropriate. We've spoken about this in earlier episodes on my alternative platform, by the way. The anxiety and disrupted equilibrium completely dissipated, my dear listeners. When I made the decision to sever the inauthentic friendship, which was confirmation that the issue was prevalent. All of the writing was on the wall. It was definitely, I'd exceeded the time, the time it expired. In fact, I'd overstayed in that relationship and that, pardon me, that friendship, I should say. But boy, am I liberated and boy, am I relieved now. After all, it's imperative to assess when to eclipse into relationships of all varieties and when to exit or bow out gracefully and or boldly off the stage. I inapprehensively chose the latter by affirming to myself that I have a right to detach from undeniably toxic individuals. And so do you, ladies and gentlemen. Safeguard yourselves and your energy. It behooves of us all to cherry pick those we lend ourselves to. So take a stand and take a bow. Curtain, please. Now, without further ado, let's explore the, explore the findings of others on the subject. Okay, so here is an abridged article or, or snippet from 
And this is actually uh, written by April Smith, recovery.org, titled Taking Out the Trash, How to Purge Your Toxic Relationships. So the author here notes that there are people in life who just aren't good for us. I had to come to term with, terms with that many times and most recently. So the person that I'm speaking of in my experience is just one of two that I've most recently had to purge. But again, so look back at the text messages. Remember the convos and the phone calls. If someone calls, causes you more grief than joy, then you, you unfortunately, you're going to have to, you're going to have to sever ties. This is your life on the line. Welcome to the cutoff point per the author. So here are a few things that will help you figure out if someone's toxic. And the first is apologies. Do you find you spend a lot of time apologizing to this person? <laughs> that sounds familiar. Whether the apology is warranted or not, this is a sign of a toxic relationship. If someone demands apologies when you've done nothing wrong, then it's clearly a red flag. But by the same token, if you find yourself doing the things you feel you need to, you need to apologize for, that's not a healthy relationship for you. Lack of forgiveness is another telltale sign. Does this person frequently bring up your faults or convey things um, you did that you regret? Does he or she, or she do so at times when you're in an unrelated conflict? If so, this is toxic. You shouldn't live in, in fear of punishment for past deeds, real or imagined. Irrational anger. Some people just have plain have a you know just plain and simple. They just have mean streaks. I have a friend, and I've had friends, and this is the author speaking now, for a while, who used to erupt on a regular schedule, um, on such a regular schedule that other friends called them Mount X. <laughs> if someone is nice to you for a while, but then suddenly just plain and simply mean-spirited, then it's a, it's a telltale sign that it's time to cut them off. So you're ready to end a toxic relationship. You might find it easier said than done. So here's one that the author found is effective. Play your recovery card. Say, hey, it's really important to my recovery that I stay away from relationships that have a lot of conflict. Let's take a break for now and check in in a few months if you're up to it. You can also, also claim to be extremely, exceptionally busy. No, you probably are busy. You've got work school meetings, raising, or being a part of your families. So stay busy and avoid toxicity. Another is just, just is to expect some pushback. Toxic people don't want to let you go. They latch on. So this is where you need to stick to your guns. Activate your healthy support system. Take a calculated risk. Part of being in recovery means realizing that you can't please all people all the time, nor should you. We were not put on this earth to be punching bags, doormats. Again, in my mind's eye, municipal waste sites for their stuff, for their refuge. Or at least cut back on contact. Move your emotional eggs into other baskets, according to the author. Find new friends or connect with different family members who make you feel good. Try this exercise. Make a chart, two columns, and one column put the number of times per week. A person makes you feel good, and then the other column, the number of times the contrary. Do the math. It's, it's pretty commonsensical. So you have the right to healthy, happy relationships. 
but you've got to fight to defend that right. Many of us who, who've had um, any, have battled any sort of abuses, in this case, because this is coming from a recovery website, um, may attest to being vulnerable due to trauma. So in that case, you know, just being more susceptible. But again, by no means are you obligated to, to sustain any unhealthy, just, uh, just spoiled relationship of any kind. So here's another, and this is uh, from medium.com. This is actually, uh, the author is Sharon M. Slate. And she titles this one, The Purge. The Purge, eliminating toxic relationships in your life. This is her, her advice. So she's putting in her two cents. The label, quote, toxic is a popular buzzword these days, as many of us are dis dissecting relationships and evaluating the elements that are detrimental to our search for human connection. So her belief system is that through human connection, we have a chance to fulfill our potential. We need to do it together, and we're not meant, meant intended to go it alone. So what makes a relationship toxic? So according to her research, she was able to find some elements that are com common in toxic relationships. All take and no give, feeling drained, lack of trust, hostile atmosphere, occupied with imbalance, constant judgment, persistent unreliability, nonstop narcissism. Now, most of these characteristics I, I honestly can attest to observing with the party in which I address the letter to at the prelude of this episode. Needless, however, I digress. It becomes clear that there are distinct winners and losers in the dynamic of toxic relationships. However, the ethos of these connections is not about mutual support, love, and growth. It's an imbalanced attention on one's needs, desires, and wishes to the peril of the other person, of course. Having been in several of these dynamics and occupying the giver role, she is always reflecting and pondering why she remained in the friendship or relationship for the length of time that she had. This type of toxic toxicity permeated several of her relationship dynamics, including, but not limited to, work colleagues, friendships, intimate relationships, so clearly the common denominator, she says, was me. And she, her belief was that the people, people treat us how we allow them to treat us. So what was, what, was the, what was it that made it okay for this toxicity to fester? The easy answer is that beliefs and what she thought she deserved was extremely low. Throughout her life, she learned that her needs didn't matter. Her role in relationships was uh, merely to serve others, so she placed herself as second fiddle. Um, but by deeply delving into personal development and understanding why these patterns evolved, a web of ex various expectations, which were familial, cu cultural, gender, to name a few, had surfaced. And her time has, has been to understand and dismantle this web, and in many ways, to start over again. Cutting out these toxic relationships has been a difficult process, which has taken some time. First, she needed to rewrite her personal bill of rights. It's a wise, wise decision, great piece of advice. And she needed to establish what, uh, what she now refers to as 
um, to establish what she deserves in relationships. She needs to learn how to speak up for her needs, to use her voice, or as, as I prefer to say, her throat chakra, about what she needed to vocalize, to set boundaries, healthy boundaries. Um, and she finally ne needed to determine uh, and discern learning how to evaluate when relationships or new people were not meeting her new standards. Trust me, the mental clatter, chatter and the second guessing of herself during this time, it's been fierce. And she frequently asks herself, am I being reasonable? Am I expecting too much? Am I being extra? But she knows the value of what she has to offer relationships so that she uses that as her North Star. Okay? And believes that what she has to offer and what she deserves um, and anything less than that is not helping to serve her higher purpose. So here's the rub in her exact words. At the moment, this process of weeding out and not letting healthy, unhealthy people in, in has left her in a place with fewer connections in her relationship bullseye, as she refers to it, with few in her inner circle. However, she said it can be a lonely place Yet, those people who are in her inner circle are actually authentic, they're quality. She has lovely relationships that are filled with mutual adoration, trust, trust, and respect. Her solace during this challenging time is twofold. Initially, at the center of her bullseye is her. She's firmly rooted and grounded in a healthy relationship with herself. And secondly, she has faith that she's cleared the space to allow awesome, healthy, and growth-oriented people to enter her life, and it's been worth the wait. Love, Sharon. Well, I'd like to, as I segue on to another finding, um, which is actionable tips to change a toxic relationship uh, that's being given on resilienteducator.com. Okay. I have to, in the words of of a wise young woman that I had the pleasure of listening to, Ming Steva, actually. Her assertion, which is quite true, is anything that isn't growing is dead. So marinate on that, ladies and gentlemen. It exudes quintessential truth. So again, here's Resilient, resilient Educator, titled Relationship Cleansing, How to Purge Toxic People from your life, the author's Ashley Prebite. So each year, according to her, as you sit through those right to know meetings, we find ourselves wondering if the really dangerous toxins are actually some of the people in our lives and not the Clorox wipes that we've hidden in our file cabinets. Um, let's be honest, some people really need a, a clear label saying danger, hazard, hazardous to your health. So what is a toxic person? A toxic person is harmful to your well-being. Simply put, they simply merely, quite frankly, don't make you feel good. And here's some indicators that someone in your life is toxic. You feel dread when their name appears on the phone. Oh, yes, that was my experience. You feel irritable or drained in their company. That's another one I can attest to. Accomplishments and moments of celebration lose their excitement when you share with them. When they're around, your self-confidence falters and your self-doubt strengthens. You often feel lonelier when they're around than when you're by yourself. Well, the initial two or three uh, were most relevant to my predicament. 
So toxicity cleanse. For optimal optimum health and well-being, toxic people should be cleansed from your life of life as we've already established, per the author, of course. And just like any other cleanse, it takes time, it takes determination, and it could be a bit uncomfortable. But as I've alluded to in other episodes, in order to acquire the, the welcome rewards and abundance that we seek, sometimes we have to step outside our comfort zones and subject ourselves to some degree of nominal discomfort, okay, to enjoy those fruits of our labor, the harvest, so to speak. So while cleansing ourselves of toxic people doesn't always mean we have to cut these people entirely out of our lives. For example, she notes our mother-in-law. It does mean that we'll need to be strong and consistent in the actions that we take with them. And sometimes a clean break break is precisely what the doctor ordered. Actionable tips to change a toxic relationship. Let's be honest. Honesty may be the best policy. It can be scary and quite frightening to tell someone the truth about how you're feeling, but your physical and mental wellness are riding on it. It's entirely possible that the person in question has no idea how their words and actions have been negatively affecting you. Your honest heart-to-heart could be very well be the wake-up call, but they need to get themselves back on track and treat the relationship with the respect it deserves. So don't blame and shame or attack, just state the facts as clearly and neutrally as you can and be prepared for some backlash. It's hard to take criticism even when it's constructive and not everyone will be open to what you have to say, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. Just be ready to face the outcome, knowing it might not turn out all roses and champagne, my dear listeners. So make some noise about it. Sometimes the toxic people have some sort of hold on us and we keep going back for more in the relationship and then tell people about it. Use the buddy system. This kind of accountability will make you more likely to stay away. Sometimes shame can be empowering. No one likes the embarrassment of slinking back to someone we know is flat out bad for us. So be ships passing in the night. If you find yourself really, really busy, too busy to chat, I've done that, but uh, I, I, I prefer, I would recommend just speaking from your authentic, authentic space. Okay. Another one is move it to the trash bin. Like those unwanted emails, sometimes the only way forward is to trash the relationship, cut them out of your life, and eliminate the contact. You don't have to tell them goodbye. Some relationships, according to, the, to her, don't deserve it. So erase their contents, contacts, block them if you need to, unfriend them on Facebook, unfollow them on Twitter, take them out of your life and move forward. They don't deserve you and you don't deserve their poison. So censor your time together. If your toxic, toxic relationship is with someone you can't purge, like a, a close family member, make the conscious decision to censor the interactions you have. For instance, if they're unsupportive of your, of your career, don't discuss it. Keep those things that are important to you out of the exchange. Change the subject, discuss something else. Avoid their toxicity by eliminating their opportunities to harm you, to hinder you, to hurt you, ladies and gentlemen. In the end, it all comes down to this. We all need relationships, but we don't need every relationship. Surround yourself with those people that will lift you up and have your back no matter what. People who inspire you to be your best person. People who energize your spirit and add value to your life. Your time on earth is too short to spend it feeling drained 
hurt and dreading your next interaction. If someone is genuinely toxic for you, seize the reins, take control of the relationship dynamic, and sever the ties. Well, there you have it. So, synchronicity, as you can see. Prior to closing out this spry episode, I'd just like to share eight tips for repairing or purging a toxic relationship per Cheryl Meyer. Okay, and this is on healthguild.org. Okay, so we've already established that remaining in toxic relationships makes the stress continual, whether it's a toxic love relationship, friendship, parent, doesn't matter, yada, yada, yada. So try to discuss this, loved one. I'm sorry, try to discuss this with your loved one to improve the relationship and put a plan together. If you can't make it happen, walk away. It's literally killing you. You need to turn your loving attention toward yourself. That's where the oxygen mask comes into play. It's not about selfishness, okay, but it is you do have to preserve a piece of yourself. You are your sanctuary, just like your home. Your dwelling is your sanctuary. Your body is, thy, is your temple. Thy body is thy temple. So nurture it. You need to turn. You need to reach out to close friends for support if you ended a toxic love relationship. You need unconditional love. In this case, in the case of this predicament, to improve your health. So. Walk away with no, no regrets. Make a list of all the amazing qualities you have and read them daily. And have close friends help you too. You don't ever have to feel guilty about removing toxic individuals from your circle, from your sphere, your arena. It simply doesn't matter whether, whether someone is a relative romantic interest, an employer, a childhood friend, or a new acquaintance. You simply don't have to make room for people who cause you pain or make you feel smaller. It's one thing if a person owns up to their behavior and makes an effort to change, but if a person disregards your feelings, ignores your boundaries, and continues to treat you in a harmful way, they need to go, according to Danielle Cope. Let's define again, in her words, in their words, what a toxic relationship is. Again, they don't have to be love interests, as we've already disclosed, we've already declared. They could be friends, again, parents, relatives, employers. Nevertheless, they need to be repaired or purged. Your health depends on it. Yes, psychosomatic symptoms, okay, can rear their heads. Any of these issues are toxic and you need to think about the relationship in these terms. Signs of toxic people, here we are. They're never wrong, they love the drama or are completely shut down and show no drama at all. They're constantly critical. They like to talk and interrupt. They they lack compassion. They love to gossip and talk badly about others. They're totally, totally consumed with negativity. They isolate you from others, signs of other signs of toxic behavior. They're passive aggressive, display jealousy, play the blame game, show signs of criticism and contempt, exude tons of negative energy. You can't seem to do anything right. Neither of you are happy anymore but they're making no effort to improve things. So if this is a toxic friendship, consider your feelings about your friend and the time spent together and ask yourself these questions. If this is something that your friend has just started to do or has it been going on for an extended period of time? In my case, it had gone on, it had, 
exceeded its shelf life. Are you defensive or upset when you spend time with your friend? Do you feel unhappy after spending time with them? Do you spend time justifying your own behavior around your friend instead of it feeling natural to be together? Are you happy being with this friend? You feel belittled, attacked, or used? Is the friendship hard work? Does your friend try to make you feel at fault for things that happen to them? Do they constantly play the victim? Has your friend betrayed your confidences? Is your friend in competition with you instead of being caring? So ponder these questions. Is the pain too great to allow to continue? Is it like pulling teeth to find out what's going on? Are they closed down and uncommunicative? Are you in your head picturing an alternate alternate reality? Do they hear you? Is it practically impossible to make boundaries and when you set them, do they ignore them? Are you the only one that is willing to meet in the middle? Is getting an apology when it's truly deserved like pulling teeth? Does this relationship take more energy than it gives? Is the blaming and complaining getting really old? Are you exhausted when you're with the person and energetic when they're gone? Yes, I must confess I was. These are words of wisdom from Chris Carr of Sexy Crazy Cancer on her website blog, How to Identify and Release Toxic Relationship. If it's a romantic relationship, are the sparks between the two of you dead? End of story. Do you smile when you want to yell and then yell at all the wrong people? Is the only thing holding you back a fear of newness? Are you afraid of what people will think of you if this relationship ends? Does this person make you feel like you're lost without them? Do you find yourself missing the old you? Are you lonely even when you're with them or her? If you're in a toxic relationship, you deserve more. You must reduce your stress, so choose to be with the people you're grateful to have in your life. Eight tips for repairing or purging a toxic relationship. Sit down and talk to the toxic person, whether they're a friend, a lover, etc. Set your boundaries yet again. See if, if the relationship is salvageable. If not, you need to walk away. If you're in a toxic relationship with a parent or relative, setting boundaries is crucial. Talk to them about the relationship and what you need. If it's a toxic employer, ask for a transfer or find a new position with a healthier environment. If you decide to end a toxic love relationship, reach out for support. You will need unconditional love while you go through the heartbreak. No matter how difficult the relationship has become, if you love him or her, it will be very painful to pull away. When you end any toxic relationship, walk away gracefully with no regrets, no accusations, no if only you've done this, no manipulation, no finger pointing, and of leaving toxic employment, no bridge burning. Once free, write down all the things that you're truly grateful for from being in that relationship and set those memories free. Holding on to grudges doesn't serve you and does them no harm and does and does them no harm. So let it go and commence your healing. Life has many wonderful adventures waiting for you, but you have to be free and clear to pull them out. When you're free, they will appear. Make space, clear your closet, clear the clutter, and make room for the, for the welcome people, places, things, rewards, and blessings that you yearn for. In closing, write down all of the things that you're wonderful about. Ask your dearest friends to help you make the list. What happened isn't, is not your fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's just time to move on. 
So read this list every time you're feeling blue and keep it close, according to the author. She learned a long time ago that sometimes there's an angel's hand on her back leading her from one place to another, which is where she's supposed to be, a place where she can find joy and happiness. And getting out of any toxic relationship is an angel's hand on your back moving you to a better place where you can find health and happiness. Love, Cheryl. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've extracted the pulp from this episode and found something that resonates with you. I'd like to applaud my behind-the-scenes team, Bradley, at this very juncture, coupled with all of you magnifying listeners spanning the globe at this, at this very moment. Please bear in mind that your listenership, listenership basically serves as the very platform, as a foundation for this episode. You're the broad shoulders in which it rests upon, so I humbly, humbly implore your continued listenership. Until the next episode, this is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off.